Bow with our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful privilege to gather together on a Sunday morning by means of your grace, your mercy, and your love. Father, thank you for this form of fellowship, this family that is drawn together by the unity of the faith. Thank you for this little church on a hill in North Dighton, Mass. Thank you for making it so that our lives are able to bring glory to you. By grace, through faith, you make these things happen. Father, we pray for those that cannot be here with us this morning, but earnestly desire to be with us. Our prayer goes out to them and that they might understand that our hearts are with them always. Father, we pray also for the lost in this world that somehow, some way, we're given an opportunity to evangelize them, that their hearts be humbled before your magnificence, that they understand the truth about their depravity and their need for a Savior. Father, we are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to make an, a morning like this even a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. <clears throat> How's the temperature in here? Is it good? Is it too cold? Good? All right. We're going to be doing a lot of reading today, so uh, that's great blessing always, but I hope your fingers are nice and limber. This past week of lessons was ripe with Holy Scripture regarding faith, wisdom, and commitment. And obviously, if you've been following along, uh, these are three topics so intimately intertwined that it's hard not to talk about them together. Faith, wisdom, and commitment. We find the key takeaway on the topic of faith and wisdom in Scripture itself, which shouldn't be surprising at all, for all true wisdom originates with the Word. Proverbs 4.7 says, The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. Be motivated by this very thing, to acquire wisdom. We're not born with wisdom. We're born infants in Christ. We're reborn born again as infants in Christ, which means we have an awful lot to learn uh, on the side of wisdom. And so the very beginning of wisdom is acquire it. And with all your acquiring, get understanding. And as I gave you from the original language this past week, that understanding implies discernment, the ability to see the differences between good and evil uh, in your own life, gradations even, Good timing as well, because what's good for one person isn't always good for another. Uh, and even within your own life, something good today might not be good for you tomorrow. But you got to have wisdom and discernment to be able to decide between such things. <clears throat> it's a real sad case um, that we see most Christians have very little uh, understanding. And that could be a whole host of reasons, but 
Since God gives grace to the humble, we know that faith is a gift from Him, as is its fruit, namely, wisdom. James 4.6 says that. God gives grace to the humble. And we know that faith is a grace gift, as is its fruit, namely, wisdom. So on that topic of faith and wisdom, this subject that the Spirit's had us on now for weeks, we have to remember this, that wisdom is a function of faith. There's a lot of worldly wisdom in the absence of godly faith. Go to the bookstore, go to Amazon. Uh, you're going to be pelted with self-help books, books on wisdom books on how to do this well or how to make this work in your life and it's all garbage frankly you want wisdom this is the this really is the only book you need it really is but again wisdom is a function of faith there's a lot of worldly wisdom in the absence of godly faith. That wisdom encourages striving after the wind, as Solomon would say in Ecclesiastes. We'll see that in a moment. Striving after the wind. True faith results in true wisdom, which is as powerful as the giver himself. Go to Proverbs 1.1. 1, 1. We're going we're to read Proverbs. I told you at the start of class, we're going to do an awful lot of reading. What's that uh, AC on? It seems like it's cranked to the nines. Is it loud, Billy? Yeah, can you just shut it off? Billy getting a new hairdo over there. <laughs> See, it was all for you, Billy. True faith results in true wisdom, which is a, as powerful as the giver himself. You have to think that way. It doesn't mean you always exercise. It doesn't mean you're going to be as powerful as the giver. But his wisdom certainly is. Proverbs 1.1. The Proverbs of Solomon, we've studied him. The son of David, we've studied him, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear an increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol even whole, as those who go down to the pit. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path, 
for their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed blood. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the, end, uh, at the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O oh naive ones, excuse me, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. That's the way wisdom is. You gain wisdom ahead of time. You get wisdom now before you need it. Because when you need it most, you may not have it. That's the way wisdom works. They will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. For the, un for the waywardness of the naive will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. What a magnificent chapter, and make no mistake about it, it's the first chapter of the wisdom book of Proverbs, written by Solomon, the wisest man of his time. He who listens to me, and this is wisdom speaking, shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. And I think we were talking about this, my mom and DJ, before everyone got here first thing this morning, how many people are just living lives of anxiety and, and uh, fear. Of what? Of what? What's everybody so afraid of? What's everybody clinging to? A lie. That's what. And lies never deliver us. Truth delivers us. The truth shall make you free. It doesn't say lies will make you free. Again, the point on the board, faith and wisdom. Wisdom is a function of faith. There's a lot of worldly wisdom in the absence of godly faith. That wisdom encourages striving after the wind, as Solomon would say in Ecclesiastes. True faith, though, results in true wisdom which is as powerful as the giver himself. If you're struggling right now, I know some of you are, we all do, um, acquire wisdom. If you lack wisdom, as James said, then ask God and he'll give it to you. But don't ask 
with that double-mindedness. Don't be flippant with your time with him. Take time with him. How many people take time? How many people have time set aside for God? Every day. Come on. Everybody's willing to do these like quick fixes with their bodies. Oh, I'm on the 20-minute ab routine. Every day I do 20 minutes of crunches on the... You, you can put 20 minutes aside for your stomach but you, so you can look good at work or out in the, at the beach or wherever the heck you're planning on going. But you can't give... I mean, come on. Even one-tenth of that will do a lot more for you. Two minutes with the Lord is better than 20 minutes of ab work. Doesn't mean you still shouldn't do the ab work. I'm just suggesting you might feel better. It's just priorities. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 1.14 I've seen all the works which have been done. This is Solomon. I've seen all the works which have been done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. Is that not the depiction of our world? Everybody's running after something. If you really stop them and shake them and say, what are you running after? Like, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> you know, their hair's going this way. and I don't even know what I'm chasing. I've lost sight of it. Like 20 years ago, I, I'd just been running this, like on that little wheel, the gerbil wheel. What am I doing? I'm not even going anywhere anymore. I know. So says the Lord. Wisdom's crying in the streets, shouting in the streets, and nobody's listening. I mean, it's Sunday morning. Look around. Why are there not a hundred seats in here packed full? Be honest. You know, the, you know the reason why. Too much truth comes from this pulpit. That's why. And it will remain as such. It's the way it goes, my friends. Especially in this neighborhood, this part of the country, where people are just awful. The problem is that we are all, we have to keep it within the house right now though, the problem is that we are all constantly inundated by the world system. That's a fact. This is by design too, so I'm not complaining, I'm not um, questioning God's judgment because there's a lot of goodness that can come out of being inundated. I've often, and I've, I've intimated this with you, why, you know I tried to escape to South Carolina Why'd you, why do you keep me up here in this mess, this pit of awfulness in Massachusetts? Because you know why? This is the front lines. It's, you're not going to get If you're a fighter and a scrapper, this is where you have to be. Because this is the fight. This is where the fight is. This is, this is a heated battle up here. Nobody wants Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is almost a swear up here. This is where all the action is. That's what, that was his response to me. I'm keeping you there because I made you a fighter. And I made all these people you're teaching fighters. So let's do this thing. But nonetheless, the problem is that we are all constantly inundated by the world system. And again, this is by design. So there's no cause for us using such a reality as any kind of an excuse. God forbid it. For even, even Jesus didn't ask for different circumstances, did he? No, he didn't. Just like he's never asked for any different circumstances for any of you. 
even today. Human wisdom will tell you, I need different circumstances. I need to move. I need to go here. I need to go there where it's less this or less that or more this or more that. That's human wisdom. That's you copping out. Go to John 17, 13. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with moving. I'm just saying if you're doing it with the wrong motivation, uh, you need to look in the mirror. And if, you're, if, you're, if you consider yourself a, a true soldier for Christ, all I'm saying is that <laughs> this is the front line. I just spent, what, couple, almost a couple weeks in India. And in many ways, India was easier than Massachusetts. Massachusetts, they're awful. India, at least there was some soil. Here it's just a bunch of rocks. I'm serious. Sow the seed and it's like, what happened? Just Nobody even wants it. Hardened hearts everywhere. I'm not saying there's not a few here and there. Ask some of the folks that hit the streets around here. They're still out there, so there's still encouragement. I don't mean to be a downer on Sunday morning. I'm not saying there's not some soil. I'm just saying it's a tough fight up here. And so just think about that, that Jesus put you here for a reason, John 17, 13. But now I come to you, this is Jesus to the Father, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. That's right, and that applies to you right now. There's no reason you can't have joy. doesn't mean you're going to walk around with a smile on your face all the time because you're in war, you're in battle. I mean, how many soldiers, I wrote a blog on that, how many soldiers run through the trenches with smiles on their faces? But they're fighting for something that they believe in, and so they have a joy set before them, correct? And when they run up the hill with the flag and pound it in the ground, they say, hoorah, that's what I want to do at the end of the day. I don't want to go, yeah, I, I, I decided to go camp out where it was easy, in a cave. I'd be completely disappointed. Not that it would matter, because if that's what he said, maybe he's going to say that after this lesson. He's like, you, in the cave. (laughs) All right. Uh, Whatever. If that's what he said to do, then I'll do it. You know what I'm saying, though, right? These guys, the Lord said, just give him my joy. joy. He had to go to the cross. And for the joy set before him, he endured it. So just remember that. So he doesn't say, take them out of this world. Look at his, verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world. You see it? What kind of general says, take my soldiers off the field of battle? None. Let's win this thing. Let's do it. He said, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Just protect them. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. Set them apart for your own purposes. In truth, your word is truth. Let me give you some perspective on Jesus' faith, the man who just we just read. That was his prayer, of course. Jesus had perfect faith. Just consider that. So he prayed all that with perfect faith. Within the sphere of that faith, he prayed to his Father to sanctify his sheep in truth. Not 
that our circumstances be changed like so many of the sheep pray for even today. You know, there's so many people, oh Lord, change my circumstances, this stinks. I think you're missing the point. I think you're missing the point completely. He didn't pray for that. He said, leave him right in the thick of it. Leave him right in the thick of it. Because that's where we're going to bring the most glory to you, Dad. Leave him right in it. And those that can't stomach it, let him go. He knows that you have been given the ability by grace through faith to persevere. And maybe you don't believe that yet. And maybe you do lack that faith. And maybe you want to be able to persevere. Maybe you're sick and tired of falling down. Maybe your knees are completely scarred over, not from praying, from falling down. But what does a righteous man do seven times falling? Seven times he gets back up. Audie Murphy, right? Anybody remember him? He prayed with perfect faith, knowing that you have been given the ability by grace through faith to persevere. It's not a question of perseverance, you see. So for some of you, this means that at the height of the pressure you've been feeling, you must not give in to the temptation to throw in the towel. You can't. Every day I'm tempted to throw in the towel. I'm almost crying up here. Every day, I will not do it. And I want you to do it. And you shouldn't do it. That would be shameful if any of us did it. Amen? How would we do that? We've come this far, we're going to throw in the towel like pansies. That's a biblical Greek word. <laughs> and pansia. <laughs> Don't give in. This is a fight. Do you want part of this fight? Do you want this thing or not? I mean, this is what it's all about. It doesn't get any better than this. Your life would be boring. I'm serious. Where's Scott? He picks on me because he says, are you serious? <laughs> you know what's funny? Because if you throw in the towel, if you even ponder it for a time, so be it. That's exactly what Satan is hoping you'll do. Exactly. That's all he wants out of us. He wants us to quit. At the end of the day, whatever it takes, he just wants you to quit. So that's why my encouragement sometimes to people who are struggling, I just say, just take the next step. You don't know what tomorrow brings. Just take the next step, even if it's only this much. Do you realize that that is the issue right there, the let's call it the by grace through faith issue. That's the issue that's under attack by Satan. He hates it. That little phrase, by grace through faith, hates it. And that's what's been under attack since day one. We see that in Job. Maybe you didn't put these two things together, but I'm going to show you. The, go to Job 1.9. Job 1.9. I told you you're going to be reading a lot. I know I'm not helping by talking so much, but... some reason, he's got me all fired up up here. So I want you to think about that. that. This is the issue 
by grace through faith. That's the thing that Satan hates. Job 1.9 Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. Remember, Job was very wealthy, and he had a lot of blessings. He had a lot of kids as well, or at least um, you know a fair amount to consider his blessings, and he had a lot of wealth. So Satan was basically saying that, of course, he's going to be faithful. You gave him everything. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has in your power, only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. So you know Satan went, Ooh, giddy up. This is going to be fun. I'm going to prove that by grace through faith, is going to fail. Job's response after, we know the story, most of you, Job lost everything except himself, basically, and his wife, who is around to say some really kind things to him later. After losing his property and his children, look at verse 21. He says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Looks like his faith's intact to me. Satan, like the world in your own lives, wasn't satisfied with just taking Job's property and family. He wanted Job, just like the world wants you. Go to Job 2.4. Job 2.4. Keep that in mind. By grace through faith, that's what's under attack. Job 2.4, Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh. He will curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power, only spare his life. Don't kill him. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a potsherd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Oh, what a lovely statement that was. Mm. (laughs) But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? How about some of you say that? The next time you're moaning in the mirror. "Eh, My life is so tough. My boss is stinky. Get over yourself. Are you serious? Look at yourself. You got food, clothing, a vehicle, most of you, a life. How about that? And the opportunity to fight this fight. So quit your moaning. I'm so tired of listening to some of you. Shut up. I'm serious. Shut up. If you got a job, be grateful. If you don't, keep looking. If he says no job, then know what? Do something for the Lord then. Just shut up. Because nobody else in the trenches wants to keep listening to your little pansy speeches about how tough your life is. It's not tough. Next time I go overseas, I'll take you with me. How about that? And we'll see what tough is. When you've got to go to the bathroom in a hole that's bacteria-infested, you're lucky you don't walk out of there with some kind of disease. You want to talk about that stuff. Are you kidding me? 
soldier. Everybody wants the, the suit, though, don't they? Mmm, yeah, all nice and pressed. One, two, three, four. What was that? Run! <laughs> Proof's in the pudding, my friends. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Verse 11. Now, then just to, I only include verse 11 just because it's kind of, it's like the way life is, isn't it? When things are going bad, what does the world bring in? People. To like scrape the wound a little bit more. Hey, here's a little salt. I noticed you had an open wound. Here's a little salt for you. Now, when Job's three friends <laughs> heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, they came, each one from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Anathite. And they made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and comfort him. And as you know, that's how it started. But then they're like, you totally did something wrong, Job. You must be a bad person, Job. Job had Satan, his own wife, and his three friends all pressuring him to quit, even, on his faith. He didn't want to believe what they were telling him. He didn't want to fail. And you know what? He couldn't. God knew from eternity past that he wouldn't. Why? Because that's how confident God is in his own grace gifts. So even so, ultimately, Job's faith is proven intact, even though the man was battered and bruised. If you read the whole of Job, it's a wonderful read. You know that he suffered a lot, and he cried out, and he got weak, but he never left the faith. Go to Job 42.6. Job 42.6. He said a few things that, you know, were inappropriate. But I love what DJ said before class. He said he had a friend that was angry with God for like five years. And, and DJ said, you know what? He'd rather that you were angry with him and you're talking to him at least. Right? Who did Job always cry out? Lord, tell me what the heck's going on. Is this what's going on? At least there was a dialogue. Some people, I would argue most Christians, there's not even a dialogue. It's a Sunday morning traipse to the park on the hill, a cup of coffee and a crumpet or whatever the heck we serve back there. Is that even a word, a crumpet? It is, right? Croissant, crone, crone scone. It's all these French words. Why don't they just eat bread? I don't even know where I was going with that. Are you at 42.6 yet? All right. Save me. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. That was his faith never failed. Remember, what has been under attack up here on the board? It's by grace through faith. That's what's been under attack. So Jesus had perfect faith. Within the sphere of that faith, he prayed to his Father to sanctify his sheep in truth, not that our circumstances be changed like so many of his sheep pray for even today. He knows that you have been given the ability by grace through faith to persevere. Satan hates that. Hates the whole idea of by grace through faith. You look at all the attacks in the Bible, grace or faith are always center. Always being attacked. Undermined, undercut, um, eroded. 
So remember exactly what Satan is hoping to do to you up here on the board. Again, the key issue in the spiritual realm from Satan's perspective is the by grace through faith issue. That's what Satan is attacking. We just saw it in Job. God postured Job as blameless and upright. And Satan said, oh yeah, we'll take away all the stuff you give him. And he'll curse you to your face. And he didn't. Satan proposes that God's grace isn't what God states it is. Satan proposes, like he did way back in the garden, that God's grace is a farce, a scam, a deception, a cover-up, and therefore unfair and unjust. Satan proposes that we all buck God's sovereign grace the way he did, the way he's convinced one-third of the angels to do. That's what he wants you to do. He wants you to abandon true wisdom. He wants you to say, by grace through faith, meh. But as God proved through the faith of his servant Job, God's grace doesn't fail. You may fail God's grace, but God's grace doesn't fail. God clearly states that those of us with saving faith, for example, cannot ever fall from grace. If you hear anybody teaching that, please run, Forrest, run. If you're saved, you cannot fall from grace. That is an impossibility. You are now new in Christ Jesus. It is an impossibility. You've been made new. You've been transformed completely. It is impossible for you to fall from grace. If you're in the faith and you fall from grace, you're an apostate. It means you were never saved. There's a huge distinction there. I'm not going back over that. We spent two years on it almost. This is the strength of by grace through faith, Ephesians 2.8. And the righteous man shall live by faith, Romans 1.17. These are some of the highest statements in the New Testament. By grace through faith, by the righteous man shall live by faith. This is the strength of those things. Now, to get back to our previous argument, that is that we all are inundated by the world system. And the world has its own wisdom that it abides by. It has its own faith that it fosters in others. And it has its own committed followers, does it not? It has its own uh, wisdom, its own faith, and its own committed followers. Does that sound familiar? Faith, wisdom, commitment. But these are all counterfeits. Go to 1 Corinthians 3.19. 1 Corinthians 3.19. So we're in this world that is completely counterfeited. Counterfeit faith, counterfeit wisdom, counterfeit commitment. I would argue, and uh, Jesus spoke about this being in the terms of being shrewd as a serpent. I would argue that the average American is more committed to worldly faith and wisdom than the average American Christian is to true faith and wisdom. That's what I would argue. I would argue they're outstriping us a hundredfold. They really are committed to their cause. It's unbelievable. 1 Corinthians 3.19, this is what Scripture says. 
1 Corinthians 3.19, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are what? Useless. Useless. Doesn't matter if it's from the most intelligent person you've ever met. Oh my, I'm so sick and tired of hearing that. Here goes another rant. Right? I'm so sick and tired of listening to people. It's incredible. Like, these are people that I love that I know are actually positive in the faith. And I see them outside the church. Or I hear, of the, I hear them outside the church. And they're enamored with these jerks. They're enamored with somebody that's rich and famous. They're enamored by all these. I'm like, wait a minute, stop for a second. You want me to partake in this glorification of man. This person hates Christ. And you're like a, like a puppy dog. You're giving them a seat at your table of honor. It's unbelievable. What are we honoring here? Stop the presses. Seriously, stop the presses. What are we doing? It's incredible. Or maybe it's just me. But here's what I know, that human wisdom and all that garbage that everybody's idolizing, even so-called Christians, is useless. What am, I, what am I idolizing? Because you're rich and famous? Big deal. Big flippin' deal. You're what? A professional athlete? Who cares? Who actually, honest to goodness, who cares? If you can throw a football a quarter of a mile, like Uncle what's it? Rico, thank you. Like Uncle Rico. <laughs> Nobody? <laughs> Some of the old people are like, what is he talking about? <laughs> right? Who cares? I'm serious. Who cares? But I've heard just about everybody in here, and I'm not, and myself included, make note of someone famous or rich or popular or good at some sport or good at this or good or beautiful or handsome. And I say, let us stop for a second. What are we doing? What the heck are we doing? I know that's what human wisdom says. Human wisdom says elevate those people. But godly wisdom says that's useless. That little thought that you've got, the American dream, by the way, is a lie. It's a flat-out lie. How many of you are stuck in that stinking pit? You know, you've got to have two and a half kids, your own house, a white picket fence, at least two cars, one cat, one dog, a gerbil. Um, I don't know. What else is there? A good job? I don't know. know. You've got to have all these little ducks in a row because that's the American dream, and some politician lied to you and says everybody deserves it and everybody should have it. And that's what got them elected. It's a farce. The American dream, throw it out the window. Actually, throw it on the ground, smash it. And then you'll be free. You get a house, cool, that's cool. If you don't, that's cool too. You get a car, that's cool. If you don't, that's cool too. It's a farce. Don't you understand? Don't you understand? Some of you are like, oh my God, I can't believe he's dissing the country. I, listen, I served my country. Thank you very much. I love my country. Thank you very much. So don't you dare judge me. This is real stuff. Worldly wisdom, which Americans are the, the beast of, is garbage. 
Here's the recurring theme in our studies over the past couple of weeks. You ready? Hebrews 11.6, nice and simple. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. True faith. Do you have true faith? Do you have true faith in what God says? Or do you have true faith in the accomplishments of the American dream? But I want both. Choose. Because you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and wealth. I'm not saying you can't be wealthy. I hope you get the point. That's wisdom, my friends, in its purest form right there. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Problem is, most people aren't interested in pleasing God. The world doesn't want you to see it. doesn't want you to get it. That was a plug for my latest blog, titled, Why Don't They Get It? It's out there. Just saying. Why don't they get it? We evangelists are considered foolish morons, void of wisdom, as Paul alluded. 1 Corinthians 2, 4-5. If my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And it was upon this point that the Spirit took pause with us on Thursday, that if any of you lack faith or wisdom, then up here on the board. Here's what you do. You ready? Oh, here it is. Oh, my word. This is brand new. I've never seen this before. How about you pray for it? How about you pray for it? Some of you need to stop flipping. This is going to sound bizarre. Some of you need to stop being so studious and more prayerful. Because even Solomon said, dedication to too many books is wearying. Stop being so studious and more prayerful. And when you're more prayerful, what you'll actually hear, you're ready for this, is the voice of God saying, here's your discernment on this situation. This is good, that's evil. If all you're doing is this, you know what? I memorized 13 more paragraphs. Booyah. I got a new book from so-and-so, and and I got this commentary from so-and-so, and and I've been listening to 14 different pastors on the side, and now now I'm all screwed up. Now I don't know where I'm going or what I'm doing. How about you stop for a moment and pray? How about that? And that's I do pray. Pray more then. Put all the books down. You're not that smart. You're an idiot for doing that thing. I was there. Do you understand? I was there. I did it. There was nobody that hit the books harder than I did for a period of time. Nobody that I knew of. And I'm a nerd. That means I absorbed it like a sponge. You know what I got out of it? Nothing. Confused. disgusted with myself. Thank God for the Lord's mercy. Amen? Yeah, you guys are like, yeah, amen, you're disgusted. <laughs> you were disgusted. I knew you back then. Talking down to people, good intention, faithful people, talking down to them. They're like, oh, you're about the doctrine of this and that. Well, let me tell you something. I had this, like, extend a finger. 
I would put it on. I'm going to tell you. I'll point. You know what I'm saying? Nobody? I wasn't that bad. Just seeing if you'll judge me. Pray for it. I'm serious. Pray for it. Some people cry, I want faith, you know? But the problem is that they never earnestly pray to God for it. Why? Possibly laziness, self-absorption, DJ's favorite, entitlement. I'm entitled to whatever God has for me. I don't have to do anything. I'm entitled. I don't even have to pray for it. <laughs> for that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. James 1.17. I didn't say that. That man ought to expect nothing from the Lord. If you think you're entitled, you really ought to expect very little or nothing. Because here's what God says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, Just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. He's perched. He's ready. He wants to give you more faith. He wants to show you his grace and his love. The problem is most of you don't even converse with him. Most people spend too much time, and some people, like I said, the nerds are too busy reading more stuff, and the lazy people are too busy doing whatever they do, which is little to nothing. And then whatever. If you understand these things, then guess what? You have wisdom. And as fruit of said faith, the Bible depicts those with true wisdom are those who are truly committed to the Lord's purposes. That has been the theme as of late as we continue with our primary course of study and working framework up here in the board. What the apostles lacked. I mean, this is our primary theme, right? Why are the apostles so encouraging after all? Because they lack these things. As strong as the message has been this morning, it's just to open your eyes. It's not about making you feel guilty or condemning you. Or It's not my job as a human being even as your shepherd, to personally question you. I don't know where these things hit and how they hit, but these are the lessons. They're really just to open up your eyes. Are you exercising faith and wisdom? And are you committed to the Lord and not yourself? Whose plan are you executing right now in your life? Yours or the Lord's? What the apostles lacked, they lacked understanding, they lacked humility, they lacked faith, they lacked commitment. That's our current point, and eventually we'll get to power. Here are the two pillar principles of our study on commitment so far up here in the board. First, Satan has done a great job at destroying this concept in humanity in general. Commitment, move it over to the swear word column. Used to be among the most noble words. Now, mm -mm. it's. I would argue, given our lawyering type society nowadays, that commitment is nothing more than a pawn. It's a some. It's a, a lever that people make promises to get stuff. 
So if I, if I say I commit to you, forget the heart issues. If I say I commit to you, you mean I can get this out of you? Yep, totally. Pass the papers, write in the fine print is I'm really not committing. Because if, if, you know, if I don't get what I, exactly what I want, how I want, maybe even after I get what I want, I'm just going to pull the plug on this thing and take what I want and walk away. That's not really commitment, is it? Commitment nowadays is a lever that people use to manipulate other people. I know, it sounds like such a downer on a Sunday morning, doesn't it? But you know what? The truth shall set you free. I'm not here, I'm not, look, I'm not here to set you, I'm not here, I'm not the person, I'm not the individual able to set you free. My job is to hack through the cobwebs and the, the trenches and the muck and the mire and the garbage that you all bring in here. I mean it. It smells in here. You can laugh at that. Jeez, everyone's like, for real? <laughs> no, do you know what I'm saying? I can't set you free. I can point things out to you. Hey, don't fall into that pit. Don't fall into that pit. Because you know what happens when a blind leads the blind? They both fall in the pit. I'm not blind. I have good eyesight, honestly. I'm trying to point things out. Satan has done a great job at destroying this concept of commitment in humanity in general. People make vows all the time that are vapid, void of integrity. The second principle was this. James 5.12, But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes, and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. For God takes no delight in fools. Ecclesiastes 5.4. In other words, be a man or woman of your word. If you're going to commit, then commit. Don't have commitment with a disclaimer. Commit. If you want a happier life, you might be saying, well, that seems like the, you know, my opponents or whoever I'm trying to manipulate is going to, make, is going to be one up on. No, this is for you. You commit, you're at peace. Do you understand? You commit, you stick to your word, you're at peace. What's worse? Let me. What's worse than having to look in the mirror and look at yourself in the mirror and say, I have no integrity? I'm a worthless, coward, manipulative individual. That can change. I'm saying right now, you look in the mirror and say, you know what, my word is worth dung. My word is crap. It's worth nothing. I don't think there's a worse thing in this world. Well, you know what I mean. I'm being dramatic. but There are a few things worse than having to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm a man or a woman of zero integrity or little or fading integrity. What else do you have? Isn't that what you show up with? Isn't that what you show up with? Honestly. Oh, by the way, Galatians 6, 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. So don't use man's standards of figuring you out in your disgustingness. Remember that God sees everything. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, this he will also reap. I know this is a hard lesson. You guys are really quiet. Some of you... John goes like this. <laughs> this is comfortable for me. You know. <laughs> and I'm serious. You guys get tight. Why do you think he makes me make a fool of myself up here? Because you guys get all uptight. 
You know, I look out and people that had straight hair, it's now curly. It's weird. So it's curling on the ends. Loosen up. Do not be deceived. There's also a very practical side to all of this that the Spirit has been highlighting for us. And that is in the area of working hard as unto the Lord. Part of being committed is actually working hard. We're all joint, we're called laborers. And yes, there are spiritual aspects of it that precede everything else. But there's also practical aspects. If you don't believe me, just read your Bible. God's not really big on lazy people. In any sense of the word. Do you, you know what I'm saying? All you have to do is, remember the old litmus test? You ready? Thanks, Tammy, for this one. Is this bringing glory to God? Is whatever I'm doing right now bringing glory to God? Gee, I don't know. If you're sitting on the couch and your thumb's somewhere it shouldn't be, is that bringing glory to God? I'll give you a second. Call that comedic pause, right, Michael? I still don't get it. Well, I'll give a tutorial later. You have to ask yourself, is that bringing glory to God? And that's the one, isn't it? Because everybody's like, oh, man, there's no way I can get out of that. No kidding. Is what you're doing bringing glory to God? No. And remember the Lord, the, the God, Lord God says it's the willingness to work. You may have a time where you're out of work, but you know what? You're looking. You're trying. And if you don't have work right now, you're doing something that's under the Lord. Maybe you're, maybe you're a prayer warrior. And don't lie to God because he's not mocked. Maybe you're a prayer warrior. I don't know, maybe that's the best you've got. Maybe you're shacked up in a bed like Frank right now or, or Jackie or whoever, and all you can do is really pray or text the heck out of everybody like Frank does. This guy's like pervasive. I hear from all the time. I got a text from Frank. I'm like, you too? I'm like, what's he doing? He's in his bed. He's like, going through his scroll. He's doing it. God love him. It's about willingness. These are heart issues. And when I talk about working as under the Lord, that's what I'm talking about. Some of you are pack mules, meaning you're meant to work hard. Seriously, maybe your gift isn't praying all the time like somebody that's shacked up like Frank. Maybe your job is to work hard. Somebody's got to pay the bills. Why is it so quiet in here? Turn the AC back on. <laughs> right? So he's been having us in this area. Working hard is under the Lord, something that I believe a lot of Americans, frankly, could do well to heed. As we noted on Thursday up here on the board, idle hands of the devil's workshop. Go to 2 Thessalonians 3.6. Idle hands of the devil's workshop. Commit to your work and go for it. Commit to your work and quit complaining. Quit calling up your friends and your family and moaning, groaning about your stupid boss because God knows that you've had 20 of them and they're all bad. I mean, look, if every boss you've ever had is a punk, I'm saying I'm just going to go on a limb. There's one common variable. It's you. I'm going to say everybody's had a couple of bad bosses, right? But if every boss or every job circumstance you've ever been in is somehow defunct of anything good, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's you. So shut up. Quit your moaning and groaning. Grow up. 
Some of you are like 40, 50, 90 years old. Bill's still complaining about mowing the lawn. Look at him. He's all sick and everything. He's like, I still got to mow the lawn? I'm making this up. <laughs> Obviously. 2 <laughs> Thessalonians 3.6 Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition which you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we did not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you, so that you would follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. Again, willing. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. That seems awfully practical. Do you want to try to spiritualize that? I'm serious. You think he's talking about spiritual things? No, he's talking very practical. Come on, we all coexist, don't we? We all got to do this practical living here. I always get a kick out of these Christians as they go like this, they go, oh, God's got my back. And everybody else is doing all the work. No, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Get off your butt and work. There's a practical side to this. You got to eat, don't you? Then work. Yeah, I know. It's like rocket science. It's unbelievable. What do you think it's called? God will take care of it. Yeah, how do you think he takes care of it? Through practical people that are living by God's commands. That's how he takes care of it, you lazy, slothful mole rat. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, stop it. Stop spiritual. Oh, God will take care of it. No, that's mom and dad still. You're still... You know what I mean? It's mommy and daddy still taking care of it. I'm not saying mom and dad can't help out once. That's fine. But if you've got this attitude where mommy and daddy are taking care of you for the rest of your life, and, you, you know, it's always this, always go back to, I'm just going to be lazy. But, you know, I do read, I read my Bible 15 times a year, and I read at least 17,000 commentaries. I'm totally spiritual. No, you're not. You're dumb. Because if you were totally spiritual and you had all that faith and all that wisdom, you'd be working. You'd be working like the rest of us. <gasps> yeah, there's a practical side, and I'm not being religious or legalistic. There's a practical side. Read your Bible. It's literally, pro- it's literally the most practical book I've ever read. It's undeniable. It's very practical. Everybody wants to like hyper-spiritualize it and then get out on all these little technicalities. Well, it says right here, you know, don't do this. Or don't. Stop it. Just stop Stop looking for, you know, if you spend your time looking for ways out of things, your motivation's bad. Anyways, okay. Back to the question on the table. It's been on the table now for a week on this particular aspect of what the Spirit's been bringing up. He asked a simple question. Are you spiritually exhausted or just physically exhausted? Because there's a difference. And here's an interesting question that reeks of worldly wisdom. Wisdom that says stupid stuff like, you're an American, you're entitled to this or that. Or, 
my favorite, mommy and daddy will bail you out. Don't worry about being an idiot your whole life. I love that one. Or take advantage of the system. If it's legal, it's moral. No. No. I say simply, how committed is a person with entitlement issues? Be honest. Ask yourself, does this person bring glory to God? How committed is a person with entitlement issues? Does this person bring glory to God? Is whatever you're doing bringing glory to God? If God says, and I think I've got to stop here because we've got to have communion service. And I know some of you aren't that committed to this morning service. So, <laughs> If God says, you ready? Not Pastor Ed. I'm not this wasn't me. If, it's, if the Bible said, taught us something different, trust you me, I would teach it. You know what I see? In brief, in two words, the Bible says work hard. That's what I see. It says work hard. It says stop making excuses and work hard. And then obey him. If the Bible says work hard, then guess what? You ready? Obey him. If, God, if the Lord God, who inspired this Bible through his spirit, says work hard, then you know what? Work hard. And go like this. You ready? Buy a big zipper at, uh, at uh, Joanne Fabrics. Sew it right here. I will pull it for you. If I can even beat the rest of the crowd to your mouth. <laughs> Work hard, obey him, shut up. Good morning. Not because he's a cruel taskmaster, but because he knows what's best for you. There it is. There it is, folks. Because he knows what's best for you. He says, work hard because that's what's good for you. Because idle hands are the devil's workshop. Work hard, and it's good for you. Pastor, I didn't say that. So if you're one of these people that's constantly looking to get an out or something like that, all I can tell you is this, and then I'll jump in with... Uh, actually, I want to get one more scripture before we do that. Lack of, as soon as you think you can disobey the commands of the Lord God by no longer working as unto him, you have chosen to depart from his gracious plan for your life. It's then and there that you have broken your commitment to him. You're a slave. You're a slave. And your master says, I need you to work hard in every sense of the word. I'm not big on complacent or lazy people. I'm good on workers. You're a soldier. I don't need a bunch of uh, deadbeats. I need soldiers. I need people that are willing to get up in the morning, put on their boots, lace up, and go. I don't need a bunch of whiny little mummy and daddy pansies. Look at some of you are squirming. Good, squirm. It's good for you. I didn't say that. The Lord did. It's good for you. Lace up. Join the rest of us. And the funny thing is, we're all very forgiving people. I don't say any of this with any tone of condemnation in my voice whatsoever. How do you know how lazy I've been in my life? How do you know? Maybe I'm lazy right now. 
I'm not, but how would you know? Because it's none of your business. Your business is to take care of your own vineyard. Your business is to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's your business. Stop looking to your left and your right. Well, so-and-so's not working hard. What's that got to do with you? Well, they came at the 11th hour. I think there's a parable on that. What's that got to do with you? Remember, you are a slave, either of righteousness or unrighteousness. Go one last passage. Go to Romans 6.16, and we'll, we'll head on into communion service. I'll stop my ranting. Romans 6.16. Do you not know? Romans 6.16. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart, to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Again, the point of the board... As soon as you think you can disobey the commands of the Lord God by no longer working as unto Him, you have chosen to depart from His gracious plan for your life. The Lord is our Master. It's then and there that you've broken your commitment to Him. I guess I'll end with this one more. I guess I kind of lied. One last principle from last Sunday on commitment. True commitment puts the Lord as top priority a la Romans 12.1, and first fruits. If you're convinced that something is from the Lord, then commit to it wholeheartedly. You may not know how it's going to work out or how it's going to pan out in your life, but if you're convinced that something's from the Lord, then commit to it. If you're not convinced of the prior, then you shouldn't be doing whatever it is in the first place. And that goes back to the way we began this morning. So much of wisdom is good counsel before something happens. That's the value of doing what you're doing right now. It's the value of reading your Bible on a regular basis because He will equip you for anything that you encounter. Some of you just need to stop. You know, it's that whole instant gratification complex that we Americans are all steeped in. I want it and I want it now! That old, what was that commercial again? J.B. Byred or something? Guy yells out the window, I want my money and I want it now. Nobody? Yeah. That's the American way. I want it and I want it now. Well, maybe you should just hold off for a little bit. Maybe you should be a diligent servant of the Lord. Preoccupy yourself with day to day. Stop buying the lie that, you, you, you know, if you're not the next Tom Brady, you're a bum. Isn't that what 
I just read a poem before class, and it was beautiful. And, and it was something like this. If you're teaching your kids to shoot for the stars and be this thing, and do, you're actually hurting them, in a sense, because you're not telling them to stop and smell the roses and taste a fresh tomato and work a good day's labor in a field. You're not telling them to do this. You're telling them to be this idol. And you're setting them up for what? Disappointment? True commitment puts the Lord as top priority. If you're convinced that something is from the Lord, then commit to it wholeheartedly. If you're not convinced of the prior, then you shouldn't be doing whatever it is in the first place. All right, guys, let's get the elements out, get a little music. We'll get ready for communion service. Thank you, gentlemen. As we partake in the communion service, just remember faith, wisdom, and commitment to our Lord. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, in remembrance of the person of our Lord. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink the cup in remembrance of his work. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you once again for allowing us to come before you, the throne of grace, humbly yet profoundly, 
remembering our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, your Son, his work. We remember what Scripture says, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, suffering our shame. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to live this life as unto you, to work hard, to bring glory to you. For it is all by grace, through faith, that we are sanctified in your Son's good name. Father, we just pray for this congregation that it continues to persevere in the light of so much back pressure. Thank you for giving us this battlefield. Thank you for giving us the tenacity and the heart and soul to go out each and every day and fight this battle. Thank you, Father, most of all for your love. Cannot wait to bask in it for all of eternity. We just ask for traveling mercies as we take what we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.